than how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Then it goes on in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I'll say that again, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I go into my introduction, and as we continue on in this summer series of Love Like Jesus, we as a cornerstone church family are striving to not be just a friendly church family, but also a loving church that loves in acts and deeds and also in our surrounding communities. Now let's go back in the last eight weeks of the sermons as we have been covering this theme of the one another's of love like Jesus. So we covered in week one, it was love one another. Number two was bear one another's burdens. Number three was encourage one another. Number four was do good to one another. Number five, if you can remember, was forgive one another. Number six was confess to one another, pray for one another. Seven was humility towards one another. Nine was last week, Pastor Tim preached peace with one another. Now, moving forward today, I'm very excited to speak to you on the subject of speak to one another and love like Jesus. But we will be mainly focusing this evening on verses 18, 19, and 20. And I'll be using several references of Scripture on this subject to speak one another in the manner of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, we're going to start right now. We're going to go back to what seems like the last two years, but I'm exaggerating a bit when Pastor Tim was preaching on the book of Acts, which some to refer to as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, going back to those sermon series, a very important statement was made by Pastor Tim as a question was posed. He said, he asked, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? He asked this very important question to all of us. He said, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, this is where I'm going with this. Yes. Say yes. yes. We are filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. But what I'm referencing to right now is, are we walking and applying the fruit of the spirits in our lives? Are we practicing a spirit-filled lifestyle? Now stay with me for a minute. Let's concentrate on what I'm saying, and this will make sense as we go back to Ephesians in the fifth chapter. So point number one, you are filled with the Spirit of God. Come on, somebody say amen. I want you to talk with me a little bit today. You are, that's good news, you are filled with the Spirit of God. Now, yes, 
You are. If you are born again, then you are filled with the Spirit of God. But, and you need to continue to be constantly filled with the Spirit. Now, you might be wondering, like, why is he pondering this point? Well, if we're really going to get an understanding how to interpret and apply Ephesians 5, 19 through 21, we must first grasp the charge and the command in verse 18. Now, I'm going to take a quick commercial and say, this sermon is not talking about or referencing the gifts of the Spirit. Say amen. amen. Now, again, I'm going to say in my next point, but I say as Ephesians in the fifth chapter, no, I'm going to switch to Galatians now, to Galatians 5, 16. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. So these scriptures go together. I want to talk a little bit about the Spirit and the flesh before we get to our main part of the scripture today. Galatians 5, 15 through 26, I will read. Verse 16, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousies, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those things or those that who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those who walk in the flesh and do these things, what this Scripture is saying is that you ain't going to make it to heaven. That's a harsh reality if any of us are purposing and continuing to walk in this manner. But then in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. Say amen. Now, point number two, you are filled with the Spirit, but continually be filled with the Spirit. That almost doesn't make sense, does it? I said you are filled with the Spirit. When you received Christ, what spirit you think came into you? The Spirit of God. You are filled with the Spirit, but you need to continually be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's go back to our original text, verses 18, 19, and 20. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. 
but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. I can't say that enough, and I'm going to harp on this for a minute, to be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, don't turn to alcohol, turn to the Spirit. Now, the present tense of what I just said in the Greek means just that. Keep on being filled, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Let's look at this context and see just a little bit more specifically what this means and what I'm trying to say. The contrast with drunkenness is the key here. What do people go to alcohol for? Happy hour. <laughs> we all want to be happy. But there is a problem. The days are evil. Notice the logic in verse 15 through 18. It said, look carefully at how you walk how you go about your day, how you deal with your dealings during the week. Look carefully. Judge yourself. Look at yourself. How do you walk? How do you treat people? Are you nasty or are you kind? Are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the fruit of the Spirit? Look carefully at how you walk. And be wise. The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is or what the word of the Lord is. And do not get drunk. Again, do not get drunk. But be filled with the Spirit. Where do you turn? I might ask you that question. Where do you turn when the days are evil? Where do I turn when I'm frightened? Where do I turn, church, when I'm discouraged or depressed or anxious? But you see, Paul pleads with us. Don't turn to alcohol. Turn to the Spirit. Anything of value that, the, that alcohol can bring, God, the Holy Spirit, can bring more. Verse 18 again. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What is debauchery? It's the habitual and unrestrained and lust and sensuality. There are several places you guys will read in Scripture where this word is used. And it indicates, I guess, what we would call today as partying. But it encompasses several aspects of unholy living. Included but not limited to sexual immorality, drunkenness, crude talk. But basically general, out of control living and behavior. Or as we would say in the hood, wilding out. So again, so again, so again, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, the basic fundamental meaning of being filled with the Spirit, especially in verse 18, is to be filled with joy that comes from God. And as we talk in this context, to overflow in song, because that's where we're going next. I like it months ago when Pastor Kyle was preaching and his philosophy on being filled with the Spirit. He basically says, I'm going to paraphrase, if you're walking in the fruit of the Spirit, then you are Spirit-filled. 
Because that would be the attributes, attributes. He talks about that constantly. In Acts 13.52, it says, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we see that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a sense of joy. Good morning, Pastor Kyle. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored in the Lord. Good morning, good morning, Leo. How are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm just blessed in Jesus. I don't feel very well. My, my, my foot kind of hurts, and I'm not feeling too well, and I've had a rough, but, but God bless. It just feels so good to be alive in Jesus, just filled with joy. One of the marks of a person filled with the Spirit is that he is made strong to witness in the face of opposition. Acts 4 and 8 and 31 755 and 1319 all testify this. But the reason for this is because of the joy of the Lord is actually your strength. And there's a reference to that in Nehemiah 1810. When you are happy in God, then you are strong and brave, witness in grace. Did you know that we can actually choose joy that is not an emotion? You can choose joy from the moment that you wake up. You can choose it. You don't have to be salty. You can choose joy. I choose it at the moment I wake up. No matter what's going on, even if I get that call from one of y'all early in the morning, 6.30, Kelly, bless your heart, and Bob, and my sound and screams every morning. So, you know, I choose to have joy. Come on, somebody say, put on joy. So now we move a little further. We now talk about the all-important question of how we can obey this command to be filled with the Spirit so that we can apply verse 19. Well, I read earlier in Galatians 5 about how the flesh and the Spirit are opposed to each other. God has ordained to move into our lives with the fullness through faith. And I believe through the obedience of his word, especially through the principles that God has established in his word, the pathway through the flesh that guides us to the joy of the Lord, to, able, to be able to be full of the Spirit and to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts, is simply, simply through faith in his word. Believing the word of God in every instance in your life. My personal testimony being a creature that was strong in the flesh, wanting my way and the flesh taking over my spirit so often early as a believer, that I would eat to the point of obeseness, that I would just let my flesh be out of control, and I had to appropriate early in my walk in Bible college the principles of fasting so that I would crucify the flesh so at then could I walk in the Spirit and then apply verse 19. Some of us today, we say, well, what is fasting? Fasting is to subdue, to crucify the flesh so that you may be closer to God, so that you may possibly hear from God, so that you will not walk in the ways of the world and the flesh. And it took extreme measures for me, even as a pastor, 
to where the Lord said, son, I want you to do a 40-day fast. I said, Jesus, is that you? How could that be? That must be the devil. How can anyone do a 40-day fast? And as I began to embark on this venture, day 23, you could have just pushed me and I would have fell over. But after I got done, God revealed some things to me that I'm going to share with you even in this sermon. But one of the key things as we talk about fasting, my church, they were so proud of me. It went around that city. Our pastor fasted 40 days. 50 pounds later, I'm looking like a twig. And they were so proud, and I had to go to my church because I was getting phone calls from different pastors in my area. And I went before my congregation, and I said, I want you guys to understand. I had to go to such extremes. The Lord made me go to such extremes because of my flesh and my pride. It took a 40-day fast for me to kill off my flesh and to get rid of my pride and to begin to walk in the Spirit. That's how bad a shape my church's pastor was. So it was nothing to boast about. I needed deliverance because I was prideful and I was fulfilling the lust of the flesh in many ways. And God dealt with me to remove the pride. The pathway through the flesh is simply through faith in the Word. Believe in the word, the whole gospel, every aspect and principle in particular, and the disciplines of being spirit-filled. This is simple, but it's an awakening truth. Can I share something with you? And the stream, I, I don't want you to tell anyone this. Because if you do, I'll, well, I won't lie, but I'll, I might deny it. The only time in my life that I was able to walk in the spirit for more than a sermon or than 15 or 20 minutes at a time is when I was fasting for that period. I would actually at times walk with God and walk in the spirit. What a challenge. Are we actually walking in the spirit constantly? Or do we think about it for just a moment in our prayer and in our songs and then we return through the flesh and live our lives? I challenge you to learn and to walk in the Spirit of God. Woo! We must set before our own souls a banquet of promises that God has made for us to feed our faith to the fullest. The Bible says that Stephen in the book of Acts in the sixth chapter in the fifth verse that he was a man full of faith. Remember I said it takes faith. In the word, obeying the word. It says that he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Barnabas in Acts in the 11th chapter in the 24th verse, that he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. The two go together. If a person is filled with faith, he will be filled with the Spirit. 
Why? Because he believes and applies the whole loaf of the word. The spirit of joy and peace. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, one of my favorite scriptures, in 11th verse, 11th chapter, about the 6th verse, it says, it's impossible or without faith, it's impossible to please him, God. I love that. Faith is powerful. And again, I quote, we must set before our own souls the banquet of the promises in the word that God has made to us and let it feed our faith to the fullest. All the promises, all his principles. That it may be said of every person in this room, that it may be said of every man and woman, boy and girl in this room, just like Stephen and Barnabas, they were filled with faith and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, as we go to verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your hearts. So far, we've labored and labored over verse 18. Now we will focus on verse 19 and how we are to address or speak to one another. Let's look at these three terms and define the distinctions between them. But before we go there, my third point is, praise and worship of our God is not optional. Now you need to let that sink in. Praise and worshiping God. And when we come here, corporate, it's not optional for believers to not lift their hands as Psalms tells us so many times, to raise our voices, to sing of the beauty of the Lord. Everyone that walks through these doors for our corporate worship is supposed to worship the Lord in song. And it can be in dance. It can be all different types. But it's never to where you are just watching and not participating. It's not if you feel like it. It's not if you're shy or if you can't sing very well because we are to make a joyful noise. All you people, it's not if you're tired and Lord Jesus knows right now I'm tired. But this is a hard statement I'm about to make, but more often true. We do not worship because we are rebellious and prideful. Somebody say, ouch, ooh-wee, and amen. amen. But we have no issue with the eagles. When it's time for them to play or the eagles song, Welcome hotel. We have no issues singing that or go hurt. Is that his name? Hurts, whatever. Go. Boy, we praise him, don't we? Oh, come on, don't lie in church. Don't we praise him? All right, somebody tell him the truth here. So we will go ahead and we will praise the Eagles. And boy, when our kids, soccers and sports, go, little Johnny, go. Go. Kick that ball. Score that basket. 
pin that guy. Oh, we have no problem. We're right in front. All you mamas get right up there in the front row, checking it out, praising them. But when you come to church, you're in the back just, that's the Lord, all I saw. Sports, TV programs, when we go to movies, we'll cry. And the dreaded video games that a lot of us like to do, even men in their 30s and 40s find themselves in front of TVs playing these stupid video games. I'm sorry, because you may say, well, you ride that stupid motorcycle. Okay, fair, fair, fair. But I had to talk about the videos a little bit. You should, hey, leave, leave this. There's other things you can be doing, like with your wife and with your kids. Get excited over that. Oh! Oh! Oh, 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 oh. But in worship, it ain't happening. And last but not least, social media. Oh, man, we get excited. Well, we got, we got to look at our phones even in church to see what's going on. Check out the game, seeing what's happening, see who messages. We get, you know, hey, social media, so we got to check that out. I mean, we worship social media. You know what? Me and uh, the staff, the Cornerstone staff, me and pastors and some of the rest of us on staff, we tried something. We said, you know what? We're going to put our phones down and not take them out, and we're going to carry our Bibles with us. So every time we get the itch to look at social media in our phones, we'll open up the Bible instead. And after three, it was hard. Because you automatically, not even thinking, just start phoning. You had to stop. Oh, oh, forgive me, Father, I sinned. You had to really stop. And it was quite a challenge. And I challenge you to do that. Back to Scripture, okay? Can I get back to Scripture? Okay, we are a word church, right? Say amen. Okay, I'm going to go back to verse 18 again. He said, man, will this guy lay off this? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. Now, let's look at that word psalms. Now, what makes psalms different from hymns? Or spiritual songs is that they are a hundred percent God breathed inspired words. This means the Psalms of the Old Testament was written, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Wow. I'll give you an example of a song that's the Psalms. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day. Yeah, better is. Two, three, better is Hey. Better is one day. Yeah. Better is. Okay, that's 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 enough. That's enough. Okay, okay. Now Psalms, there's another song. Psalms 34. Uh, how's that song go? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, blessed is he who uh, okay, anyways. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, that song, just right from Scripture, Psalms have a timeless quality, and they are relevant to our lives, as though they were written yesterday. Many people find great comfort in reading or praying the Psalms, especially when they have difficult finding adequate words to express their hearts to God. We can encourage by singing the Psalms, we can challenge, we can extend comfort to ourselves and through others by memorizing and sharing the Psalms. 
And when we sing the Psalms, we are singing God's word. These words and pictures come straight from the book of song. And when we sing them, we are doing just as Paul directed. Paul tells us that this tradition should be maintained and we should continue to respond to God in this way. Psalms. Then we have hymns. Some of us define a hymn as if you grew up in church, there were these hymn books in the back of the pews. I think they were called hymnals. But Paul refers to hymns. He's talking about, or is he talking about that book in the back of the pew? You may have studied what hymns are, and you may have come across this definition that a hymn requires a specific structure of verses, refrains, in order to be a true hymn. And it's interesting that most of the early hymns follow this structure. What songs did you sing today? The first two songs, Jessica. Okay, so the chorus goes, Jesus, Jesus. You remember that today? So if you notice that, it goes in eights. Jesus, that's one, two. Jesus, Jesus, how I love you. Two, four, six, eight. Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. If it was a true hymn back in the day, it had to have that structure. Eight or six or eight, six. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Now six, that saved a wretch like me. And all of the hymnals would follow that pattern. And if you can look at hymns, you'll find that they fit that eight, six, or that eight, or just that six. And where they got that was, was really interesting, that the Ephesians were Greek Christians, and they weren't familiar with the Psalms as the Jews would be. So Paul speaks of hymns in Scripture and refers to a type of music that Greek Christians would recognize from their pagan culture. Because these songs come from bar songs, and they would come from that, how it would rock the eight and the six. And the Christians back then would take these same grooves, and they would begin to put scripture and principles and doctrine about God to the eight and the eight, six, and the six. Isn't that amazing? So hymns in generally are poetic. They're either recited, sung, but many times in praise and honor to one of the gods. Hymns as we know them are formal and traditional songs which are sung by the congregation in praise to God, mainly in public. These truths about God and hymns are immutable, unchanging over time, or maybe even unable to be changed. They can hymns, they can and should be passed down from generation to generation. Now, maybe Paul adds hymns in how we are to worship. He seems to make this distinction to show different cultures can worship God in different ways. 
So as we continue to look at how we worship at Cornerstone, there's so many ways. As our church tells our worship leaders, throw a hymn in there, but throw some contemporary. It's all right in here. It says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So that you can do all of them, and you'll find out that different cultures do it different ways. Sometimes people get on my case and they go, oh, brother, man, don't you just love that hymn? And I'm like, I don't even know what y'all talking about. Because, see, for my culture in church, it wasn't those type of hymns. See, hymns deal with experiences and cultures, and they're passed down from generation to generation. And it was different when I did go to church, some of the hymns that they sang, even though they still followed the same pattern. After the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples are seen singing a hymn together. A beautiful representation of how we should worship God corporately as believers. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now let's go to spiritual songs. A spiritual song has more of a personal element to it. And it can be spontaneous. Some may call it singing in the spirit. I'll give you an example. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So when we talk about spiritual songs, most of the spiritual songs came from urban communities. Some of them from years and years ago in slavery weren't allowed to sing much or worship God. So they sang songs if they didn't have much of a cow. You know, spiritual songs are raw. They have doctrine and biblical principle, but sometimes it's explained a little bit different with passion. So when I hear a spiritual song, which actually has the same cadence as a hymn, Jesus, 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 that's the sixth. But when I hear that and I see an urban church get together and all of a sudden they just lift their hands and they go, and they may not know much doctrine. They may not know much word, but all they know is he delivered me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Mm. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then sometimes they'll switch it up and they'll go, Savior, Savior, Savior. Oh, I know that's simple, but it gets to me. Savior, Savior, Savior. Savior, Savior. Oh, then you might go, Healer, Healer. Oh, y'all better leave me alone. It gets good to you. See, that's the kind of hymn that gets my spirit. So in conclusion, it seems though first century worship included traditional, classic, as well as contemporary, as well as emotional forms, and are carefully crafted as well as improvised compositions.
I'm going to ask you right now to shut off the um, streaming as we talk about some more personal things as we begin to close.